0: The text for our sermon tonight, Joshua chapter 20, again, verses 7 and 8. So they appointed Kadesh and Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben. Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Let us pray. God, who didst of old speak unto the fathers by the prophets, and has spoken unto us in these last days by thy Son, speak to us now in thy holy word. Make our hearts to be as good and prepared soil for the good seed of thy kingdom. Teach us to know thy will and to do it in all things. May thy Holy Spirit be with us now as a Spirit of light and life. May Christ be glorified in the preaching of His gospel this evening, and may grace and peace be multiplied unto us all through the knowledge of Thee and of Jesus our Lord. For His name's sake, amen. Well, just like we did last week, we're going to follow the same outline. We're going to inquire as to, number one, the word's meaning, secondly, the theological significance, and thirdly, its New Testament fulfillment. Firstly, the word's meaning. Well, the Hebrew word shechem means shoulder. And the first thing we think of is that a shoulder is a place of strength. When we meet Rebecca in Genesis 24, she's carrying a large water pot on her shoulder. It's a lot easier to carry heavy weights on your shoulders than it is to carry it in your arms or with your hands. I have some experience with this, when I lived in the Philippines, I spent a lot of time in remote areas, villages without running water, and when this is the case, you fetch your own water from a pump, and you carry it in large containers, and typically in Southeast Asia, you have a bamboo rod that you place over one of your shoulders, and with hooks on the ends of the rod, you latch onto the handles of your five-gallon containers, and you can carry ten gallons on your shoulder. I must have fetched thousands of gallons of water. When I was younger, I was built like a bean pole, but my shoulders were always uncharacteristically strong for someone of my size. Well, anyway, think ahead to Israel now in the wilderness. Every time they moved, they had to pull up stakes and move their whole camp. Teams of Levites were tasked with carrying all the equipment and furniture of the tabernacle. God instructed Israel to make long wooden poles with which the Levites would carry everything. Notably, the Ark of the Covenant had gold-plated poles with which the priests would carry it. The Bible often speaks of the priests and Levites carrying the Ark and the tabernacle stuff on their shoulders. In Psalm 81, we read earlier, Asaph sings of God's deliverance of the church from Egypt. From Egyptian bondage and he describes it as removing his shoulder from the burden because of a shoulder's shape Hebrew often applies the name shoulder or shechem to mountain ridges even to saddles in both cases the notion of strength or protection ability to shelter or capacity to carry heavy burdens is implied or simply understood because The shoulder is a place of strength. It shouldn't surprise us that Scripture often speaks of God's strength as our salvation. How often does the Bible speak of the power of God's arm, or of God being a stronghold, or of Him carrying His people in His everlasting arms? The theological significance is not hard to find. Since a shoulder is a place of strength, the immediate implication is that the one who needs a shoulder is weak. I mean, even in English, we talk of letting someone lean on our shoulder or of being a shoulder that someone can cry on. The person who had to flee into the city of refuge was vulnerable. He was weak. He needed a strong shoulder to lean on. His weakness required a strong solution. And in that alone, We see the theological implications. Sin, while being described in Scripture by a host of terms, is often referred to as weakness. Now let me say something important about that, because it's easy to deceive ourselves with that word weakness. But that's because we think of it in an unscriptural way. You see, it isn't as if you're just trying to lift a 150-pound box and you're not quite strong enough. That's not the Bible's notion of weakness. No, the Bible's notion of weakness is like you're trying to lift Mount Everest. You can work out and exercise every day, you will never be strong enough to do it. So, when we think of our character flaws as as weaknesses, we deceive ourselves if by weakness we mean small defects. We fall into sin in the face of temptation. Not because we we just aren't quite strong enough, but because we're impossibly weak. What we need done is what we cannot do for ourselves. In Romans 8, Paul says, What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Note that the reason no one obeys the law of God is because we're too weak to do so. And again, lest we fall into the error of thinking that with a little exercise I can do it, God uses other expressions. He says that we're blind and that we're dead. Strain all that he wants to, a blind man cannot stare at a book long and hard enough to be able to read it. If you can't see, you can't see. So when the Bible uses the word weak, that's the sense in which it uses it. Actual inability that cannot be remedied by the one who is weak. It's weak on the order of paralysis. The very act of fleeing unto the city of refuge was an acknowledgment of this inherent inability to save oneself. It was an admission of weakness. I can do absolutely nothing to remedy my situation. I have no power to save myself from the consequences of my actions. If not for God's grace, I must perish. Now imagine yourself running frantically across miles of rugged terrain on your way to Shechem. When you finally make it, you'd be bruised and sore, you'd be dirty and sweaty, you'd be hungry and thirsty, you'd be thoroughly exhausted. Shechem would truly be a strong shoulder to lean on. The theological implications of the name Shechem are all there. The fleeing man is acknowledging that he needs the spiritual equivalent Of healing and rest, of cleansing and restoration, of food and drink, of strength to endure and protection from the self induced consequences of sin. Every time you said the name Shechem in relation to your need of refuge, you were admitting that you were too weak to help yourself. You were admitting that God alone could be your strength. You were calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. For the name of the Lord Christ is a strong tower into which we can run and be safe. A couple weeks ago, I read a bunch of scriptures that spoke of God as the refuge for his sinful children. And in every one of those passages, God's strength was also spoken of. The passages used language such as rock, stronghold, fortress, horn of salvation, and when the Bible uses the word horn, the reference is to the horn of a strong animal such as an ox. And the horn is a sign of great power and strength. That's why David frequently says in the Psalms, my horn is exalted. To call God the horn of your salvation is to say that the, the strength, power, and ability to save resides in God alone. As Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. The man who ran to Shechem was not going there because he had his act together. He was not strong enough to fix the mess that he was in. He couldn't pull himself up by his own bootstraps and turn over a new leaf. His life was ruined beyond repair and he acknowledged that truth. When I was a kid, a common practice in our church was for people to get up and and share their, quote, testimony as they called it, which was the story of how they came to faith in Christ. Almost invariably, these stories were, I grew up in a decent home, but I left it all, and I turned to sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and my life was a total shambles. I was unhappy and unfulfilled, and then I heard about Jesus, believed in Him, and now I'm happy and fulfilled. Now, one of the objections that I have to such a practice is not that I think that they're untrue stories, but that they give the impression that salvation is only needed by people who are demonstrably bad. The prostitute, bank robber, serial killer, yeah, he needs salvation from his sins, but not the dedicated father who provides for his family, doesn't fool around on his wife, and works hard to put his kids through school. And We must avoid the error of thinking that Respectable people are less sinful and lost than, quote, bad people. It's not true. Jesus told the Pharisees, the cream of the religious crop, that revenuers and hookers would get into heaven before them. The obvious meaning of such a statement is that respectable sinners are much blinder to their actual state. You won't likely find a, a, a hitman who claims and believes that he's actually a good and upstanding citizen. You won't find a gang member who claims to be a, protect, a productive member of society, deserving of honor and respect. Generally, they recognize the evil of their ways, even if they ain't sorry for them. The great 18th century preacher George Whitfield preached that, that we need to repent more of our own righteousness than of our sins because we never rely on our sins for our salvation that would be ridiculous but we do frequently rely or attempt to rely on our works of righteousness for our own right standing before God no beloved salvation belongs to the Lord it is he that hath made us his people and the sheep of his pasture and not we ourselves We all need Shechem, and those who don't flee there will be caught and killed by the avenger of blood. And let's turn now to the New Testament fulfillment. Now first, let's just recap where we are. Shechem means shoulder, which is a place of strength. And there are two passages of Scripture that I just, I can't help but wish, come immediately to your minds when you hear the word shoulder. Shoulder. And the first of these is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which reads, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The second passage is Luke 15, 4 4 through 6, which reads, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which was lost. Both passages teach the same doctrine. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 teach that Jesus alone is capable of governing his church. He alone can bear the burden of the salvation of his elect. Question 14 of our catechism asks, Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? Answer, none For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. Only Christ has big enough shoulders to bear the sins of His people and the burden of God's wrath against it. And that's why the government is on His shoulder. Luke 15 teaches us of Christ's love for His elect he goes out to seek and save that which was lost. And when he finds his lost sheep, he picks it up and carries it on his shoulders. These verses teach us that it is only under the government of Christ that the believer finds security. Jesus is the refuge for the weary one lost in the wilderness of sin. Jesus is the place of security and safety. Only in Christ do we find rest for our souls. Only in Christ do we find a resting place, a friend upon whom we can lay our burdens. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. When we think of Jesus, our Shechem of refuge, we should think of him as the one who bore our sins upon his shoulder. As He bore His cross up to Calvary, He bore all the sins of all God's people. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All the sins of all God's people, Jesus bore them away forever. And Jesus alone has shoulders big enough to have carried such an awful load, such a heavy burden as this. And He calls to us, His own, Come to Me, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is why Paul says in Hebrews 7, verse 25, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. None other is our firm and sure foundation. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation." Another passage of Scripture that comes to mind is Exodus 39. And here we have God's instructions for the official garb of the high priest. Now, he was to wear a breastplate, and it was, it was double-layered. The innermost layer had 12 onyx stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel carved on them. And this was affixed to his robe by attaching it to his shoulders. Since the priest was to bear the sins of the people before the Lord's altar for sacrifice, he carried their names on his shoulders. Surely that is a significant detail. The outer breastplate also had precious stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel carved into them. And this panel was affixed to the outer robe itself. And the significance Exodus tells us is that the priest would bear the names of God's people over his heart as he atoned for them. The symbolism is staggering. The priest, as a foreshadowing of Christ, bore a great burden, the sins of God's people upon his shoulders. And it was clearly the sins of God's people because the plate actually had their names carved on it. This was a picture of Christ's great power and strength as he bore the sins of God's church. But the priest also bore the names of God's people over his heart, which signified his great love for them. Christ says to his church in Isaiah 49, 16, See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Christ says to his bride in Song of Solomon 8, 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Christ bore the sins of His elect upon His shoulders and He bore their names upon His heart as He also bore the infinite wrath of God against their sins. Christ is the true Shechem who sits at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3 describes Christ as being the brightness of His glory and express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. The government is upon His shoulder. And when He returns, even His enemies will be forced to admit that the government is upon His shoulder. All believers are upheld by Him. The poorest, weakest, humblest believer is carried on the shoulders of Christ. He is the good shepherd who will feed His flock, who will gather the lambs in His arms and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The sheep who wander astray. He goes after and when he finds them, he carries them on his shoulder, rejoicing that he who was lost is now found. You know, Paul spoke of bearing the burden of care for all the churches that he had founded. But Jesus bears the burden of all his people. He is bearing the weight of us all, loving us all, attending to us all, interceding for us all. He provides all our food and clothing, health and strength. Friends and home are all gifts from Him. Every tear we shed, every sorrow and trial, He knows about it as He bears us on His shoulder. Our shoulders are not big and strong enough enough to bear our sins before God's judgment seat. Our shoulders are not strong enough to bear God's wrath against our sins. This is why God's word calls us to humility as we turn to Christ to bear our burden of sin. Scripture says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting your care upon him requires humility. You must acknowledge and admit that you cannot carry it. You are not strong enough. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. The burden of sin is far greater than any mere mortal can bear. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, Acknowledge that in our flesh there dwells no good thing. And then we cast our burden of sin upon Christ who careth for us. Just as the poor fleeing sinner found refuge in Shechem, just so the poor silly lost sheep finds refuge on the shoulder of the good shepherd. Jesus, our Shechem, continues to bear our burden upon his shoulder. In the hour of trouble, David cried, I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord cares for me. The Lord carries me, he says. For us who have fled to our Shechem, we can say in sweet confidence, I will lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Because he who is our keeper says of us, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What perfect security and safety we have in Jesus, our Shechem. Let us pray.